So worship is your theme this morning as a church, and that's a pretty good theme. It's a good theme to surround a Sunday, and it's a good theme to surround a month, and it's a good theme to surround our entire lives. And and so I want to actually read a portion, portion of Scripture this morning before I get into the Word. And this is out of Psalm 139. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it, or you can look to the screens. But I want to just really set the atmosphere this morning with this word. Oh Lord, uh, you have, oh, I'm on the wrong one. It's all right. Goodness, I actually spoke that one last time. Maybe I was meant to speak that. <laughs> Psalm 139 is what my Bible was at. Oh, God is good. Psalm 89, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All of heaven will praise the great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround His throne. O Lord, God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as You, O Lord? You are eternally and entirely faithful. You rule the oceans, you subdue their storm-tossed waves. You crush the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. You created the north and the south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Praise your name. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy, happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exalt you in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord. And He, the Holy One of Israel, is our, has, has given us our King. Long ago, you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, I have raised up a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant, David. I have anointed him with my holy oil. I will steady him with my hand. With my powerful arm, I will make him strong. And then it goes on and it talks about how God will preserve His life. The Word of God exalts our heart to worship. The Word of God stirs our heart 
and gets it into a right place so that we can worship God. And so this morning, as I declared that word, I wanna pray over the atmosphere of this house before I bring this word that God has placed on my heart this morning. And I wanna encourage you to say that this word is straight from heaven for you. I've never preached this word I'm gonna preach this morning anywhere else. I haven't preached it in my local church. It's not something that I've preached 15 times before. Like I know sometimes you can expect from a visiting minister, but heaven wants you to hear this word of worship this morning. And so why don't you just, in the quietness of your own heart, just open up your heart to the Lord this morning as I pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you have called us and anointed us to be worshipers. Father, I thank you that you have blessed us and you've called us your sons and your daughters. And Father, I pray this morning that as your word comes from heaven to earth, Lord, not my words, Father, I am only just the vessel. Father, I pray that you would stir within us a call to a lifestyle of godly worship where you become our constant source of strength and courage, Lord. And Jesus, more than anything, be exalted over our lives and be exalted in this house. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Awesome. good to be in the house of God, isn't it? I'm going to drink lots of water this morning because I'm thirsty. Is that okay? (laughs) It's good. It's good. I want to share a story with you this morning, actually, and just preluding into my message. And uh, it's a story of uh, when my husband and I were traveling about uh, eight years ago now. In 2010, my husband and I went on a really large trip uh, through Egypt and Israel, and then we we finished with visiting my husband's sister and my sister-in-law in Arusha, Tanzania. She lives there with her family. And uh, it was an incredible holiday. It was wonderful, and God spoke to us in so many different ways. But there was this one particular day where God spoke to me, and we were in the city of David, and we were traveling around the ruins of the old city of David. And has anybody been to Israel before? Put up your hand if you've been to Israel before, so not many of you. Well, in Israel in particular, not all places feel spiritually amazing, Um, and I'm a bit spiritually sensitive, but on this one particular day, we actually turned up to the city of David, which was the old ruins of King David's palace, and we we rocked up to the gate, and we bought our ticket, and and then we walked into uh, what would be just looked like a bunch of rubble surrounded by what had been a palace that had been slightly restored. And uh, as I was walking around the the ruins, I began to feel the Holy Spirit just begin to speak to me. And I felt like I knew the Lord was going to speak to me on this particular day. Have you ever had moments like that where everything feels quite ordinary, but then I felt like something about today felt spiritually vibrant. Something about what was happening around me felt spiritually vibrant. And we had been traveling for many weeks and we had been through Egypt and we had been through parts of Israel and not everywhere felt spiritually vibrant. And so on this particular day, I knew God was going to speak to me. And so we were walking around the ruins and in particular, there was, uh, like any good tourist destination, there were these signs all the way along this uh, metal boardwalk that wrapped around the ancient ruins of the palace. And they just basically described what you were looking at. And as we were walking around, I I stopped at the first sign and I began to look and read what I would have been looking at in ancient Israel when this palace was David's as he was king. And as I began to read, I felt the Psalms just began to flood back to my mind. 
And I turned to my husband and I whacked him because that's what I do when I get really excited. I whack and I hit people. And so I whacked him and I said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. I've just had the most amazing revelation. And my husband said, okay, all right, what is it? (laughs) Because he's used to me and my outbursts. I said, David, he sung what he could see. He sung what he could see as I looked over the city of Jerusalem and as I looked over the Kindred Valley and as the Psalms came flooding back to me, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm no theological scholar. It was the Holy Spirit is just cool like that. He, he brings back the Word of God to us when we need it in a moment. And so as I heard the Psalms over in my head, the Psalms began to come to mind and I began to understand that David did something incredible. He sung what he could see. Life became became his greatest muse to turn his focus to the Lord. And my message this morning title is Found in the Focus. Found in the Focus. How we are found in the focus. And I want to talk about the life of King David today. I want to talk about how he found himself in the right focus. He found himself in the focus of his great and wonderful God. And as I was standing there in the fresh perspective of these ancient ruins, as the Holy Spirit began to speak to me, I began to understand and realize that David's song, it was signaled by what he saw. The the meditation of his heart was because of his perspective and his perspective was true. His perspective was right. And so it didn't matter with David if he was on his palace balcony, looking over the city of Jerusalem, if he was on his palace balcony, looking over the Kindred Valley, or if his enemies were advancing against him, he saw God in all of it. He saw God in all of it, and so it turned into his life song. And so, you know, he understood this incredible key that life isn't perfect. Life is fragile, and it's fractured, and it's continually unpredictable. But when our focus is upon the one who is stable, upon the one who is unchanging, upon the one who never changes and he is our safe place, then it doesn't matter if the seasons change. doesn't matter what our circumstances look like. We can actually use whatever our circumstances contain to bring our worship to the Lord if we use what we see to become the avenue of what we focus upon, which is God, which is Jesus. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have a praise perspective? Do you have a praise perspective with what you are looking at, with what all of your life entails? Because David did something incredible. You can find a Psalm of David for every single season of life. It doesn't matter what life brings you, you can be encouraged by the Psalms of David. And I know that from personal experience. In the difficult times of my life, I have gone to the Psalms of David and I have felt like everything's going to be okay, God. You are a God who is faithful. In times of rejoicing, I've gone to the Psalms and I found a Psalm for my time of celebration. And David had this incredible way where he turned his problem into his prayer. He turned his grief into his God gaze. He turned his success into his song. He turned his hidden years on the hillside into a season of high praise. And he turned his giant fight into a focus on the one who gives victory. There is a Psalm of David 
for every season of life. And so he shows us that the lens of our life can be focused upon the right place and it changes everything. It turns everything. David was quite incredible because he turned all of life into an opportunity to communicate with his creator. And really, he understood what God wants most. And God wants our gaze. God wants our attention. God wants us just to look to him and to see him, to take a moment to see him in all of life because God is good like that. He just wants our attention. He is a good father who loves us as his children. And when we get that revelation, everything makes sense. We understand that God loves us in every single season. You know, when I, turned, when I returned home from Israel with this revelation, it changed my life. And it changed my life in really simple and mundane things because I understood that David's everyday ordinary life was turned into a song of praise. It was turned into something that he could bring before his creator as worship. And what's incredible about the life of David is that he was a man after God's own very heart. God liked David. God was impressed with David. God was happy with David. And David did not live a perfect life. If we know the story of David, it was far from perfect. He messed up time and time again. But he understood the key to pleasing God, and that was to have a heart towards him. And so when I returned home from Israel, I just had this revelation of how can I adapt worship and praise more into my everyday life? And, and I would have always considered myself a worshiper. I, I, even from a, being a very little girl, I would love to worship the Lord. I would love to praise Him. But I began to turn the mundane things of life into opportunities to seek God and to turn my gaze to Him. So I would be doing everyday opportunity, like just everyday chores, like hanging the washing on the line. And I'd be hanging my husband's business shirts. And sometimes I'd be in a rush and I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, I couldn't be bothered hanging these business shirts up. But I would hang them up and I would change my perspective. I would begin to change my gaze. I would begin to change what I was looking at. And so as I began to hang my husband's shirts on the line, rather than just think, oh my goodness, I'm in a rush. Gee, this is just an everyday chore that I really feel like I don't want to do. I began to praise God. Father, I thank you right now that you've blessed my husband with an incredible job that can provide for our family. I pray for a blessing, Lord God, and I praise you, Lord, for his workplace, and I pray for salvation over his workplace. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you're going to bless him in all of his endeavors. And I thank you, Lord, that as you give us these finances, we can build your kingdom with them because you are worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship, God. And so I began to get this perspective that, oh my goodness, doesn't matter what I'm doing, doesn't matter if it's, you know, if, it's, if I'm in the kitchen cooking a meal, if I'm hanging out with friends, or if I'm in a place of actually putting on worship and getting before the Lord, all of my life can be God's song. All of my life can be something that I give to the Lord. God wants our gaze. God wants our eyes because our eyes lead to our heart. Our eyes are the window to our soul. Our eyes are the, the thing that the enemy wants to steal from us because if the enemy can get our gaze, our, our focus can be on the wrong thing. But if God can get our eyes, if God can get our gaze, then we're going to be on the right track no matter where we find ourselves. Sounds good. Hmm. So we need to focus our attention. And, you know, I want us to just look at the life of David for a minute and 
to understand David that he was ordinary and he was every day just like us. And David's life is incredible and we need to understand that David didn't start perfectly. His life didn't start perfectly. His life actually began in a place where he could have been rejected. He could have felt shame. He could have felt unseen. He was the last choice of his earthly father. You know, if you understand the life of David, David was a shepherd boy to his father, Jesse. And David had seven other brothers. And in this time in Israel, God spoke to the prophet Samuel and told Samuel that it was time to anoint a new king over Israel. And the Lord told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse. And Jesse, uh, when he heard news of this, he lined up all seven of his sons. And when the prophet Samuel arrived, he said, I've come to anoint the next king of Israel. And so Jesse, I can imagine he would have lined up all of his sons, the seven older sons, excluding David, thinking, I know which one's going to be the next king. It's going to be my eldest son. And so Samuel came and he looked at the eldest son, but the Lord spoke to him and said, do not look at his appearance, even though it looks pretty good. Don't look at his appearance because God doesn't look at the outer appearance of man. Begin to look, God looks at the heart and he's not the one. And so he went to the second son and the third son and the fourth son and the fifth son and the sixth son and then the seventh son and God said no to all of them. And things got a little awkward. And I can imagine Samuel saying, um, excuse me, Jesse, but God said no to all of them. Is, is there anyone else? And he said, oh, well, there's my son, David. He's just the shepherd boy and he's out in the, pal- he's out in the hillside with the sheep. And Samuel said, go get him right now and we will not sit down and we will not eat until he arrives. And I imagine this moment, I, I love to imagine this moment of, of David and he was just this smelly shepherd boy that was sort of rough and, and just, he just looked a bit disheveled probably and he would have come and I like to imagine that he would have come with a few wandering sheep behind him and maybe a lamb under his arm and he rocked up and he, he was thinking, what's going on here? What have I missed out on? And he could have had a moment where he felt forgotten. He could have had a moment where he felt like my father just didn't even bother to invite me along. He didn't even think that I would be the choice. And he had an opportunity to feel shame and forgotten. But something incredible happened in this moment. Something amazing happened in this moment. Samuel came to David and God said, he's the one, anoint him. And this incredible moment happened where Samuel the prophet, he began to pour oil upon David's head. But something incredible was happening in this moment because David was a shepherd. And you've got to understand something that was happening here because David understood it well. David was a shepherd and in a Hebrew culture, every single day, shepherds would pour oil upon the head sheep, upon the sheep's head. And they would do it to protect the sheep so that they could have a long life. And they would pour the oil upon the, sh- the, he- the head of the sheep so that ticks and bugs and all sorts of things couldn't actually burrow into the sheep's ears and eyes and mouth. Because if that happened, the sheep would die. And so this moment I like to imagine is happening where David is there and, he- and, and, and Samuel is anointing him to be the next king of Israel. That is what Samuel is doing. But something more is happening in David's heart in this moment because he's a shepherd and he knows exactly what's happening to him. 
Right there in that moment, I believe that David got the revelation that the Lord was his shepherd. That the Lord was his shepherd. I have all that I need. He's pouring oil upon my head and I'm safe and I'm protected and I'm a shepherd and I know what I do every day for the sheep that I love because I want to protect them and I want to keep them. And so in this moment, David was anointed not just to be king. He was anointed by his father to be exactly who he was, a son a son, and even though he was rejected and the last choice of his earthly father, he discovered that day that God was his shepherd. And what does Psalm 23 say at the end of it? The Lord, you anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David, he goes back to the sheep field and he continues being a shepherd until the time comes for him to be anointed as king. And that's a long time frame. And in between that time frame, we see that the famous story of David defeating Goliath happens. And David, he's just the shepherd. He's just the lunch boy. And he turns up to the battlefield on this particular day when all of his older brothers, who were also ones that rejected him, not just his father, turned up on the battlefield that day and there was, a Goli- there was a giant called Goliath the Philistine and he was taunting and he was coming against Israel, the army of Israel and every single day he would go down into the valley and he would begin to taunt Israel and he would begin to come against them as their great enemy. And David arrives on this particular day and he turns up to bring the lunch and he hears the taunts of Goliath. He begins to hear that Goliath is not just coming against Israel, but he's coming against his God. And David is shocked. He is completely shocked that there is not one trained soldier in all of Israel's, including his brothers, that would come before Goliath. And he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm not a trained soldier and I don't even need Saul's armor. I'll come on my own because he knew he was anointed. He knew that he was set apart. He knew that he was safe. He knew that he had victory. And so what did he do? He came before Goliath with a song. He came before Goliath with the voice and with the name of Jesus. And I reckon he sung the name of Jesus. I reckon he sung the name of the Lord because he knew that he had found victory on the hillside. And so he was going to find victory in this valley with this giant. And on that particular day, Goliath came down and David chopped off his head and victory was his. And church, what we have got to understand and what we have got to believe, that David's heart of worship produced this kind of victory in his life, that he knew that he was anointed, not just to be king, but he was anointed to worship his creator. He was anointed to worship his father, his heavenly father. And today, church, I want to tell us and I want to remind us that we are anointed. We are anointed. We are anointed with the same anointing that David was anointed with. We are sons and daughters of God. And God wants us to walk victoriously into our future. Because David, he didn't just have warrior eyes like the rest of Israel's army. He had shepherd's eyes that knew he was covered and protected. He had anointed eyes. He knew he was set apart and anointed for his life. And he had worshiping eyes that sung what he could see. 
And so as David, he was lifting up the Lord on that hillside. It made no difference if he was lifting up the Lord when he was facing Goliath. It didn't make any difference if he was in a place of success on the palace balcony. He would still lift up the name of the Lord because he understood that life doesn't determine my worship. Jesus determines my worship. God determines my worship. And so our praise, it precedes our breakthrough. Our praise, it precedes our breakthrough. And so if we are anointed for worship church, we also have a thief of our anointing. And I'm gonna go there this morning. We have, a des- we have an enemy of our destiny and his name is Satan. And if we understood the theology of scripture that Satan was actually an angel in heaven and he was in control of music and worship and Satan was cast out of heaven, he lost his anointing because he wanted to be like God. And now he roams the earth and he comes and he tries to steal, kill and destroy. And if he will try and kill, kill, steal and destroy anything from us, he wants to take our anointing. Because our anointing leads us into a place of safety and victory because we are set apart by God. Because God doesn't just want our eyes, Satan wants our eyes. He wants our eyes and he wants our anointing. But here's the truth of scripture. Satan actually can't steal our anointing. He can't take it, but he can tempt you enough to devalue it. He can tempt you enough to put it down. He can put enough pressure in your world to make you not understand that there is power when you stand in the authority of who you are. I am a daughter and I am a son of God. And the oil of heaven has been tipped upon my head and I am set apart and I am safe and I am secure. And my life, it breathes worship. And so this morning, I actually wanna finish with one more story. And so I'm gonna ask the band to come on up. And I wanna talk about commanding our soul, commanding our soul to worship the Lord. You're not always gonna feel like worshiping. You're not always gonna feel like living in a place of glorifying the Lord because our flesh doesn't like to worship. Our flesh comes against most things spiritual, but we are spirit, soul, and body beings. And we can actually command our soul to worship. And you know, I've had an interesting week. I've had a week where I didn't even think I would be able to preach because I was sick and there was so much stuff happening. But I had to make a decision to get up despite how I was feeling and command my soul to worship the Lord. Command my situation to change because there is life and death in the power of our words and we get to shape our atmosphere. We get to shift the atmosphere around us. We actually don't have to continually bow to the atmosphere around us, but we can come into a position of strength and we can change the atmosphere of a room. There is one more incredible story in scripture about a woman who used what she saw to bring a beautiful act of worship to Jesus. And it's the story of Mary and her alabaster jar of of perfume. What's incredible about this story is that Mary comes before Jesus and she brings him an act. And I loved what Rhonda uh, spoke about in the offering this morning about an act of worship that speaks long after we're gone. And this prophetically is in line with that. And this is a beautiful passage of scripture that talks about Mary leaving a legacy of, of an act of worship that lived on far beyond her time on earth. 
And out of John 12, I wanna just read the story, verses one to three to us today. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus's honour. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12 ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of spikenard and she anointed Jesus's feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of, the worship, of her worship. The house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume that she poured out upon Jesus. And the most incredible thing was happening in this moment. What, what caused Mary to bring this expensive, extravagant gift to Jesus? It was her eyes as well as her heart because she actually saw who Jesus was. In ancient Hebrew culture, spikenard actually represents light. So what is incredible is that Mary would have known this and understood this. And she would have seen Jesus for who He was. He was the light of the world. And she anointed the light of the world with light because she understood that when she saw him, she saw herself, that she was a bearer of light. She had been forgiven much and she anointed him with light. And there were many other people in the room that day that reprimanded what Mary did, but that was because they didn't have eyes to see who Jesus was because if they had have seen who He was, that room would have been filled with more than the fragrance of spikenard. It would have been filled with extravagant worship because if they would have seen who He was, they would have worshipped and bowed to the ground and worshipped the King of Kings. And what is incredible is that Scripture says that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And that original Greek word in Scripture filled is playro. Playro, and it means to complete. Her worship completed the room. Her worship completed what God was doing. That Jesus was about to go to the cross. Jesus was about to fulfill the very plan in which the Father sent him to the earth to fulfill. And because she had eyes to see who Jesus was, she brought an accurate sacrifice of worship. And church today, I believe the Holy Spirit. He wants to open up our eyes to see who Jesus is. Because if we who see who He is truly, we will bring to, our, to the table lives of incredible worship. We will give God everything in every season. Doesn't matter if we're in the valley. Doesn't matter if we're facing Goliath. Doesn't matter if we are facing seasons that seem impossible. It doesn't matter even if we're in a season of celebration. We will bring worship that is worthy of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to praise in every season.